Good morning, everyone. My name is Madeline, and I'll be reading the Bible for us this morning. We'll be reading from Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 12. You can read it in your own Bibles or follow along on the screen behind me. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus, where they arrived at Salamis. They proclaimed the word of God and in the Jewish synagogues, John was with them as their helper. They travelled through the whole island until they came to Paphios. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet called Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now, the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. I'd like to keep your Bibles open at Acts uh, 13 if you've got them and if you've connected to the hub you can see the outline there where we're going and I'll reveal some of it as we go. When we come to Acts 13 we come to another really significant point in the narrative of Acts and the movement really to preaching the gospel. Now um, Meredith and I are about to um, travel overseas for a few weeks, so if you don't see us, we haven't left or anything like that. Um, but if you've ever travelled overseas um, before and gone to any number of uh, diverse cultures um, and people groups, as we were hearing about before, one of the great things about the Christian faith uh, is its reach. Its reach across the varied races, cultures and languages of the world. And the fact that wherever you go, if you look carefully enough, you almost always will find people who you don't know, who you've never met, but who you have a warmth, an immediate warmth and affinity with because they share a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ and possess the inner witness of the Spirit. Now, so far in Acts, uh, the outreach of the gospel has largely been seen in Jewish communities or with Cornelius, for instance, to 
Gentiles who had attached themselves to Jewish communities, often called Gentile God-fearers. We saw that in chapter 10. Uh, They formed a wider part of those communities. We know through the Cornelius episode that God shows no favouritism and Gentiles who happened, uh, who responded to the good news about Jesus were equally acceptable in God's family. We've already learnt that. But what about the rest of the pagan world? With no connection to Jewish communities at all. It's with Acts 13 that we see that God's plan for the preaching of the gospel is a truly global one. A global one that through the ages of history reaches down to us as we sit here today. Of course, we've already seen some hints of this in the narrative. If we go back to chapter 9, when Saul, who becomes Paul here, was um, actually converted, God says to Ananias in verse 15 of chapter 9, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings. Some saw, of course, the conversion of Cornelius as having wider implications and realised what was about to happen. But it's only with chapter 13 uh, that we see this wider scope of God's plan revealed to the church of at large. And what I've called, as you've got uh, the title up there, God's Global Plan Revealed. In verses 1 to 3. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And so begins a movement to the wider Gentile and pagan world um, at that time, which sets the agenda really for the rest of the narrative of Acts, what has become known to us really as Paul's missionary journeys. Four important features, I think, of this global plan appear in these first 12 verses and I think they act as a sort of a summary uh, for the rest of the narrative of Acts. The first and foremost of all is, sorry, let's go back one, is the movement of the Spirit of God. Now, we can be in no doubt here that uh, this movement from the Jewish world to the Gentile world is primarily God's work from start to finish, activated through the Spirit of God. Note the prominence of the Spirit here. In verse 2, it's the Holy Spirit who speaks and gives direction. In verse 4, it notes Barnabas and Saul are sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. And then when Paul opposes Elamas or Bar-Jesus, as we've heard, the sorcerer, in verses 9 to 11, it's only because he is filled with the Holy Spirit that he is able to do so. The work of proclaiming the good news of Jesus is first and foremost and always the work of God himself. He is the enabler and prime mover by the work of the Spirit. But for God, his plan has been put in place through a partnership with his people. 
a partnership we see here and throughout the narrative of Acts, through the prayers and the actions of his people. We're told in verses 2 and 3 that it was while the church was worshipping and fasting that the Holy Spirit spoke to the church, possibly through one of the prophets that are actually listed in those verses in verse 1. And it was after the church had fasted and prayed that they sent Barnabas and Saul out. Just as an aside, I think we ought to realise that, uh, although it's just so summary here, that this would have been a fairly costly thing for the church at Antioch to do. Barnabas and Saul were clearly two very prominent and important leaders of that church. And I suspect it would have left quite a big hole, so to speak, in the leadership of that church. But there's a great association in Acts between prayer and the movement of the Spirit of God. God responds and moves through the prayers of his people. So if you want to see your friends or workmates or neighbours come to Christ and come into relationship with him, we should be praying for them. It's not that God is dependent upon us at all. It's simply that he chooses to involve us and to respond to our prayers. I'll always remember how uh, this was impressed upon our children when we were only, when they were only primary school age. We used to read a, a children's version of Bible stories uh, with them of the night and a children's version of what uh, of a book called Operation World. Some of you, I'm sure, would be familiar with that, where there, it goes through different countries and things that you can uh, pray for them. And there is a children's version that we used to use as well. One night we prayed for the king of Bhutan, uh, that he would allow Christians to come into the country and so people could hear the good news. Bhutan is heavily Buddhist and, um, uh, you know, wasn't uh, all that enamoured to letting Christians in. Still isn't, I don't think. Time passed, though. We all forgot about that. Three months went by and then in the headlines was either one of the newspapers or one of the prominent Christian magazines, I'm not sure, we read, or it was really, it wasn't me really, it was my wife and children who read and then told me, um, King of Bhutan um, allows Christians into the country. Now, we were all staggered three months ago. Uh, we prayed for this. Um, we shouldn't have been staggered, but we were. God was a God. He moved through our prayers for the things we probably thought would never be. That's why I think it's really important uh, that Luke prayed for Ukraine this morning. It had such an impact on our two older girls, I think, at the time, Tammy and Stephanie, that I'm sure it's one of the reasons that led to their interest and participation uh, later on in overseas mission. If we want to see the people uh, we know 
in our sphere come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. The first step is to pray for them. To pray for the movement of God's Spirit in their lives as we interact with them. Who are you praying for right now? And not only for the people here, but of course around the world, even world leaders you might think are beyond the pale. One thing that I forgot to bring with me this morning is uh, the CMS Prayer Diary, which is a certainly a good way of praying around where all the CMS missionaries are around the world too and the needs that are there. In terms of our actions, uh, what ways in which we can support, which ways we can support, let's say, the global mission of God to spread the gospel locally and seeking to reach out to people here and globally by supporting our CMS linked missionaries. It's my prayer, brothers and sisters, that in the years to come we might actually see some in our midst here respond to the call of God uh, to take the good news about Jesus to places um, in the world that need to hear. The foundation then of God's global plan is the movement of the Spirit which he chooses to engage through the prayers and actions of his people. In the case of the Church of Antioch, we see this movement through the ministry of Barnabas and Paul. The movement, though, of the Spirit leads straight away to the proclamation of the Word of God. Verses 4 and 5. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. So Barnum Saul set off for Cyprus, the first leg of what is known as Paul's first missionary journey. Uh, You can see from the map where they travelled. If you can sort of read that, and the laser thing won't uh, help you here, it won't work. but you can see there on the right-hand side uh, Antioch from where they start. They go down to Cyprus, which is the island of the Mediterranean. Um, there uh, is where they uh, started. That was their first port of call. Salamis is on the right-hand side of, of um, Cyprus, Paphos on the other side, and they travelled through the whole land, it says, proclaiming the word of God. We don't know why they choose, chose Cyprus. You know, it seems like insignificant, doesn't it, down there um, compared with uh, the rest of the world. But it could simply be because we know that Barnabas was from Cyprus and that um, it might have been the natural place to start uh, there where he was. From there they crossed over, as you can see, the lines to um, the Medit- across the Mediterranean over to Asia and to various towns until they got to Derby, the sea at Pamphylia, and then Paul doubled back. Same route uh, to go back to Antioch and report to the church that had sent him as to what God had done and was doing. You can read the rest of chapters 13 and 14, which outline everything that God was doing in that first missionary journey um, in Acts. So here's the first leg, if you like, of God's global plan to bring the salvation, bring salvation to a dying world. And I think we get an interesting insight here as to what is meant by the proclamation of the word of God. 
because, you know, we probably have different concepts as to what we think Paul and Barnabas did there. Um, what was it that they actually proclaimed? What's the major content of the proclamation of the Word of God? One of the great things about this passage is that I think it actually gives us a, an insight. If we combine together what we're told in verse 8 and 12, notice verse 8 says that the proconsul Sergius Paulus wanted to hear the Word of God. But then in verse 12, the last verse we read, when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed. He was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. In other words, the focus of the content of the proclamation of the Word of God was the truth about Jesus. That's what Paul and Barnabas were preaching about. Most likely, of course, it would be his identity as the Son of God Messiah of the Jewish people, um, how he brought the forgiveness of sins which was available through his death and resurrection. And I think this is a lot to say to us today um, when we're seeking to share with others about the Christian faith. I think the truth about Jesus is the key. And I want you want to encourage you to follow this example. Now, unfortunately, in your conversation with others, I'm sure you've all met people who, let's say, have a beef against the church in some form, church itself or a particular person. Maybe some of you have experienced this yourself. Last year, before Meredith and I moved house, I was talking to uh, our neighbour about uh, the possibility of going along to the local church where, in fact, one of his children do go. And I found out his problem with Christianity and faith goes back to his school days. Uh, when growing up in a small country town, he was shunned and isolated because his family is not part of the local Roman Catholic school and community. That was his stumbling block. And of course, stumbling blocks abound, don't they? You would know them not necessarily the church, it can be things like suffering in the world, in the present evil world. Today people find any sort of moral right and wrong or declaration that there is a truth to be a problem. What are we to do? Well, the most important thing of all, I think, is to point them to Jesus. Jesus is incredibly impressive, all on his own. If you can get people to read a portion of the Gospel with you, one of the Gospels with you, there's nothing more powerful. Jesus' treatment of the poor, his compassion for people, mixed with his wonderful power, which he used to benefit people, an incredible sacrifice and powerful resurrection. These are powerful weapons for the movement of God's spirit. That was true then for Barnabas and Paul and it remains true for us as people today. Maybe one of you here today is still pondering the truth or otherwise of the Christian faith. 
I'm sure you have legitimate questions that need answered, but they all start and end and find their answer one way or another in coming to terms with the person of Jesus. Read through one of the Gospels with a friend you've come here with. I guarantee if you truly seek the truth about Jesus, God will indeed reveal it to you. So the truth about Jesus is the key. Talk about Jesus with your friends. It may take time, may take time watching your lifestyle and how you treat people before you're afforded that opportunity. But the truth about Jesus is the most important thing that they need to know. Now we saw earlier that Barnabas and Saul travelled through the whole island before proclaiming the word of God. And as they did, so they inevitably struck a constant companion, so to speak, of this activity. The third feature of the revelation of God's plan, it is the confrontation with evil. So in verse 6, they travelled through the whole land until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, or that was his real name, what his real name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Now, as we've seen so far all the way through Acts, the proclamation of the gospel is met with resistance of various kinds. Persecution of Peter and John, the stoning and death of Stephen and uh, now seeking to stop someone else from hearing uh, the truth about Jesus, the gospel message itself. Friends, this is to be expected. Paul was later to say in 2 Timothy 3.12 that everyone who wanted to live a godly life will be persecuted. But as we have also seen throughout Acts, the mission of the risen Jesus cannot be stopped, regardless of opposition. So here it is with Paul. Verses 9 to 11 tell us what happened. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Wowee. That's pretty confrontational, isn't it? I bet if you didn't read it beforehand, you wouldn't, that wouldn't have been expected what you think Paul would say. And of course, note that from now on, Saul will be called Paul. He's never called Saul again, only Paul in the rest of Acts. It's most likely, I think, um, because Paul was his Roman name. Paul was a Roman citizen and Roman citizens had several names. Um, they had a Roman name, a Greek name, and they might have another name that was particular to their culture. So Saul was probably his Jewish or Hebrew name. 
I think this in itself indicates the mission of God, that God had given Paul to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So his Gentile name, if you like, would be the most appropriate by which he would be known. But I think this incident raises uh, a whole issue for us today of confrontation and compromise. How do you go with confrontation when it comes to sharing the truth about Jesus? Of course, we may not strike the same situation as Paul did today, but there always will be concerted resistance to any idea today that the truth about, of the truth about Jesus as Saviour and Lord of the universe. As one writer states, ours is an age of tolerance where pluralism mandates that since there is no absolute truth, different ideologies are equals in the universe of faith. We cannot pronounce one right, one wrong, and the other right. Yet, brothers and sisters, as God gives us opportunity, that is precisely what we are called to do. Precisely what we are called to do. And if we're not prepared to do that, we consign our unbelieving friends, neighbours and workmates to the terrible judgement of God when Jesus returns. It's not easy. And from time to time we should expect persecution or ridicule of one kind or another to accompany the sharing of the truth about Jesus. And to do so, like Paul, we need the infilling and strengthening of God's spirit just as he did. But we can be encouraged because the result of that infilling and confrontation led to our final feature of this global plan of God, that is, the conversion of the pagan world. At the end, in verse 12, when the proconsul heard what and saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. You see, it's important to note that it was not just what he saw that convinced him. The miracle of blindness on LMS by itself wasn't that by itself that brought the proconsul to faith. It was the truth about Jesus. What he learnt about who Jesus was and what he'd done, which really was confirmed to him by the miracle and power of Paul as he saw it. So here we have now the beginning of the spread of the gospel, the good news about Jesus to the pagan world. And I think Sergius Paulus, this example of him, the Roman consul, um, I think he represents here, you see, what is to follow in Acts and through Paul's missionary journeys. That is, he represents the conversion of the pagan world from all nations and cultures to believe the truth about Jesus and to join this great family of God's people all over the world. And we sit here today as part of that. So it seems to me these four features, the movement of the 
the Spirit of God, the proclamation of the Word of God, confrontation with evil and the conversion of the pagan world. They form, you see, this significant turning point in a narrative of Acts that serves to summarise the global plan and mission of God that we will see develop all the way through. And I think really it's no different today. God's plan God's plan then is still God's plan now. In what way do you see yourself today? Let's pray, friends, for the movement of the Spirit of God through our own witness in word and deed and in the lives of others you know. There are all sorts of issues we can speak about but sharing the truth about Jesus is absolutely paramount. Regardless of the problems that sometimes we see occur in the church or many other questions people might have, ultimately they need to decide what the truth about Jesus is. And so we should seek to point others to him all the time. And we need to pray for God's strength where necessary to nail our colours to the wall. It takes courage. And not be surprised by the resistance and persecution that may sometimes follow. But always knowing that the mission of the risen Jesus this global mission of God to bring about belief in people from every nation, tribe on earth cannot be stopped. That is the great encouragement of the Acts of, of the Apostles and particularly of this story today. Let's pray, friends, that, might, that God might use us today as he did then to advance God, the global plan, his global plan around the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the revelation of who he is and what he has done. And we thank you that because of the movement of your spirit, we sit here today as people who benefit from the wonderful news of the grace of our Lord Jesus in his death and resurrection. Lord, we pray that you would move us through that same spirit to share with others this great truth about Jesus, to have the strength to speak and nail our colours to the wall when we need to, but always be encouraged that whatever reaction we get, we might meet resistance, but we will also meet those people who turn to you as a result. And we thank you for that, in Jesus' name. Amen.